Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and intelligent? Let him by his good way of living show that he does things in wise humility. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and lie contrary to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is worldly, unspiritual, and demonic. In fact, where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and every bad practice. But the wisdom that comes from above is pure, then also peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who practice peace. This is the word of our Lord. In modern times, popular culture, Christians are often viewed as, well, let's just admit it, stupid, very ignorant, very pig-headed. And this is nothing new, because in the early days of Christianity, the Romans disdained it and viewed it as the religion of the slaves, whom they were often keeping in ignorance. And yet it's the most opposite of the truth there's ever been because nothing has changed the world for the better like Christianity. But that does make us stop and think about the difference between what the world considers wisdom, as it's actually in many ways persecuting Christians, even in America where we have the freedom of religion. And let's admit it, some Christians kind of earn that reputation. But what's the difference between worldly wisdom and true biblical wisdom? And so today we'll ask the question, what is biblical wisdom? Our text begins by asking, who is wise and understanding among you? Now, in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for wisdom really was somebody who was very skilled, very experienced, and had the ability to apply that, especially the benefit of the nation of Israel and their neighbors and stuff. And the Greek word used here for wisdom, sophos, or sophia, as most people know it, is one that actually began early in the Greek language as a craftsman. But it quickly evolved into somebody who was clever, Clever in how they deal with their fellow man. In fact, it came to be admired, clever people who were good at manipulating their fellow man. And let's admit it, still to this day, we often admire a genius in being able to take advantage of your fellow man. This word then came because Greeks really were the ones who made a, uh, who really crystallized philosophy. So it came to mean the kind of wisdom that comes from philosophy, uh, academia, the lofty towers of intellectualism, and often even abstract things, things that a lot of people turn around and go, what does that have to do with anything? Ultimately, it came to mean science. Today, wisdom is often viewed as somebody who can apply uh, properly the scientific method, or at least what today is popular science and, and can be admired. But in all of those, they tend to be a self-serving kind of wisdom. Our text asks, who is wise and understanding among you? Only in the gentleness produced by wisdom, let him point out his works from his good conduct. Now, here again, you've often heard me say, we have to pay attention to the prepositions in the biblical languages. And, and the preposition here you heard me translate is only in the sphere of wisdom. That preposition is when you build a fence around your property so that everything in the fence is your property, everything outside is none of your business. 
And so that's what it's saying. The only way that uh, you want to let this wisdom and understanding be seen is in gentleness that's produced by wisdom and in good conduct. Biblical wisdom is different than the world's wisdom. And yes, biblical wisdom has done the most to ever give women's rights, contrary to what popular culture would like you to think, the most to destroy slavery, and I could go on and on and on. But biblical wisdom comes from being in the Word and the Holy Spirit giving you belief in that Word where He creates a new man. So biblical wisdom begins with, and sadly many Christians miss this even though they're, they're Christians, begins with understanding the whole point of the Bible, old and new, is not God's an angry God, God's a gentle God. It's we are sinners, we're damned, and we need a Savior. And the whole Testament is how God preserved the lineage of the Savior and the people he would be born among, the people who would have his word in spite of their working against the word. And so the whole message of the Old Testament is the Savior's coming, and the New Testament is that the Savior has come. So salvation has been purchased and won for you. And so while that's the, that's the whole point of the Bible, we can divide that into two chief teachings, which I've already covered. The first one we call the law, and that's summarized by the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments tell you this is holiness, and so they're a judge with the gavel. Bam! Unholy, unrighteous, sinner. Or, they tell you, holy. However, once you've broken the law just once, just one little, one little thought then that law damns you. It never empowers you to keep it. And that law is utterly necessary because without the judge telling us you're not holy, we would not even care about having a savior. And this is why Christ took on human flesh. He took on human flesh to be perfect in our place, to be perfectly holy. He took on human flesh and went to the cross so that he could remove the condemnation of the law from us. He then rose from the cross, sent his Holy Spirit working through a messenger who shared with you the, the law and the good news of a Savior. And the Holy Spirit gave birth to a new man in you. So biblical wisdom is knowing the law and the gospel, but then it's able to distinguish them. And sadly, here again, many... Uh, what is often popular Christianity botches this terribly. Because a lot of Christians think the good news of salvation in Christ is not Christ did all the work for salvation. It's Christ took care of the difficult things of the law, got you going, and now you earn your salvation whether it be through doing acts of penance or doing good works or, or making your decision. And, and they, so what they basically teach is that the gospel is just that God took care of the difficult things of the law. And that is not the proper distinction. The law damns you. That's what it does. It tells you what holiness is. But the, the good news of salvation in Christ, it demands faith, but it creates that faith. It gives you salvation. It motivates you. And so showing that gentleness produced by wisdom, uh, so that we, as, and the whole epistle of James is telling us, if you have faith, you'll have the works that are grown from having your new man connected to Christ. And, and so the great, one of the great ways that this wisdom shows itself is once you have it, you use it to teach your fellow man. Teach God's wisdom. And you're serving your fellow man, not out of obligation, not because you have to to be saved. You've been freed from that. You do it out of pure love 
for God and for your neighbor according to the gifts God has given you. Some people are better at distinguishing law from gospel. Some people are better at teaching. Some people are better at showing God's law. And some people are better at showing God's love. And it's, it's not a matter of which one's the best. God uses all for we're the body of Christ. So biblical wisdom... The world's wisdom really is a very selfish thing in which a person themselves gets to be seen. But biblical wisdom is applying God's law and gospel in their right distinction in order to serve your fellow man, not out of an obligation, but out of love. Verse 14 continues. Yet if you're holding bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then do not keep on boasting over it and do not keep on lying against the truth. Stop and think about how the world's wisdom works. The world's wisdom is very jealous. When somebody thinks they're smart and then they think there's somebody else who's smarter than them, or maybe they're not, but they're getting recognition for it, it gets jealous, doesn't it? And the world's wisdom means revenge. And let's admit it, the world admires people who are really good at getting revenge. We even have that saying, revenge is a dish best served cold. And so if you're really good at getting revenge, the world views you as wise because you emanate the message don't mess with me. The world's wisdom is self-serving and self-promoting. In fact, if you don't believe me, look at how things work with the job interview, because rarely is the most qualified person given the job. Oftentimes, what's the best at, the, at a job interview is the person who's the best self-promoter. Now, there's a fine line there between coming across as arrogant, but the person who does the best sales job on themselves generally is the one who gets chosen. The world's wisdom looks out for number one. It's all about taking care of yourself. And the world's wisdom will happily lie. If you don't believe me, I often mention how the media can get caught lying time and time again. But if you think I'm just picking on modern media, read uh, some of the things Mark Twain said about when he was a reporter and the stories he invented to sell newspapers. There's nothing new there. But the biggest lie the world will tell is it doesn't want you to know that you've been enslaved by the devil and unless Christ frees you by sending the Holy Spirit, you're damned and going to hell. It views God's law as slavery. It views God as slavery and it views ourself and our own desires as true freedom. In fact, the world's wisdom despises the light and truth of the word of God, hates it, even though nothing has benefited humanity more than the word of God. And that could be, that could be a whole lecture for, that would take six hours. So verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom which comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Again, what does it mean by earthly? It's temporal. It's focused on the needs of this world. Filling the stomach, putting clothes on the back, taking care of our emotional needs, making sure we have shelter, and oftentimes making sure we have lots of enjoyment. Making sure we fill ourselves with the desires of the flesh, which is not just food, but the, the things that we lust after and stuff, the fleshly desires. What's earthly cannot see beyond the immediate and it's truly how this world operates. Look out for number one. It's unspiritual. Now, I've met Christians who had good Christian parents who have kind of fallen away and they say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. That's just more of the world's foolish way of thinking. 
Unspiritual means that we are, are blind to the knowledge of God's word and cannot see it unless God does something about it. In fact, the world has its own religion, and a lot of it is a very selfish religion, but the main tenet of the world's religion, which sadly often gets seen in Christians who don't stick to biblical wisdom, is that whoever your God is, you got to do something for that God to get something from that God. There's no such thing as a free lunch. So if you want forgiveness, you got to do penance. You've got to be sorry enough. If you want heaven, you've got to make your decision. If you want that God to love you, then you've got to follow five pillars. And even religions that don't believe in a God but are pantheistic, if you will, if you want to get the next level of life or whatever, uh, then you've got to be better. And that's all work righteousness. It's claiming you have a righteousness within yourself that will, that will get you to a better spiritual life and maybe even a better earthly life. However, that's all unspiritual. Those are lies of the devil, which is why our text calls it demonic. The devil's the king of liars. When God created Adam and Eve, they had God's image. They were holy. But the devil lied to them and they thought, oh, God, who's made the whole world for us, we're the crown of creation. He's withholding something from us. They immediately saw God as their enemy as Eve reached out to grab the forbidden fruit. Now, God did something about that. Again, he promised them a savior and said, now, you saw the devil as your friend and me as your enemy. Now, once again, I'm going to give you faith so that you will see the devil as your enemy. However, all of that's because the devil has one plan. That one plan is to destroy God's creation. He doesn't care what you believe, so long as you do not believe that God became man and did all the work for your salvation. If you're clinging on God opening heaven's gates, proverbially, if you will, to you, because you've made a decision, or you've done enough penance, or you've given enough offerings, the devil's laughing his head off. He's won. And if you're believing in a completely different religion in which you have to worship the spaghetti monster by making sure you have enough Parmesan cheese in your cupboard, the devil is laughing his head off because you are, are trusting in something else. The devil's greatest lie is he wants you to believe that you're not enslaved to him and destined to hell. He has hidden that from you. And unless God shines the light of his word on us, we will not see that. And hence, this is demonic. And what's the outcome of that? Verse 16 explains, For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every bad action. Look at how the world's principles function. Look out for number one. Well, you're going to trample over everybody else. Don't kid yourself. The world's intelligence, we recognize that a rising tide raises all ships. And lots of times a highly intelligent person will also be a benefit to people around them. But the people who aren't benefiting can be jealous. They can turn around and want to pass laws and things like that so that they get to control that person, that rising tide. And isn't that exactly how we end up with this world of dictators? It often happens, it begins with saying, I just want to be heard. And they get a following telling people, I'm here for you. I'm here for the common man. I'm your rising tide. And when they get into power, the very people who gave them the opportunity to be heard, they will silence them. Dictators will then take the people they said, I am here to help you out, and they will enslave them. Look at how, for example, Stalin 
killed millions of Russians over silly things. The world's selfish ambition will always lead to disorder in every bad action. And look at how, for example, Hitler, using evolutionary science, said, let's get the overman to come, so let's eliminate out of the gene pool uh, the undesirables. This led to killing our fellow man, right? Let's look at religions. Sadly, even in Christianity, don't kid yourself, the visible Christian church, not to be confused with the true invisible Christian church, often you get jealous people who are rising to the top for power who will then turn around and, as with the Inquisition, kill anybody who says, wait a minute, you're not standing on the scriptures. They too will rise to dictatorships. And look at the ignorance that caused that finally God had to resolve through the reformation, the restoration of his word. Look at your own sinful nature. Some of us are better at looking out for number one than others, but how we can trample over and hurt people's feelings and everything else. That's the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom is not from God. But we're told in verse 17, yet the wisdom from above, first of all, is indeed pure. Next, it's peaceful, reasonable, compliant, full of mercy and full of good fruits, without discrimination and without hypocrisy. So what is biblical wisdom? We see it's not the wisdom of this world. It's the wisdom that comes from the throne of God. We can only get that from his word when the Holy Spirit creates the new person in us through the word who then thirsts for that word. And he says, first of all, it's pure. If I were to say, I'm just going to put a little bit of anthrax in your water, but otherwise your water's pure, you'd say, I ain't drinking that. When it's pure, it says it's not unspiritual, it's not demonic, it's not earthly. It is 100% the right thing. No mixture of those errors in it. And we as Christians have to be careful to know the word and apply it so that we're not making it impure. And it says it's peaceful. Now, I grew up in the era of the Cold War. And let me use that as an example. America and Russia were, were the two most nuclear armed nations and not, no other nation compared to them. And let's admit it, we didn't get along that well. So what stopped one nation from sending a nation over to the other? Uh, 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 sorry, a nuclear missile to the other. The realization that the other would then send one back and then they would send all theirs and then they would send all theirs. Mutually assured destruction. There wasn't peace because we got along. There was peace because we knew if we got into a fight, we were going to beat the tar out of each other and kill each other. That's the best the world can do with peace. God's peace is totally different. You and I were enslaved by the devil, destined to hell. And God should have said, you're unholy, you deserve this. But he became a man and he won us. He put his Holy Spirit in our heart, creating a new person that's engrafted us. So now God is not our enemy. He's our loving father, our savior, and the one who's given birth to our new man. So whatever happens in this life, we know the peace that God is using it, even if it's a heavy cross for our good. The next word is very difficult to translate into English because it means a paragraph of stuff. It's reasonable. What that means is, the opposite is, it's not nitpicky. What do I mean? You know how some people are really good at paying attention to the forest and ignore the trees, and other people, they're so busy paying attention to the trees, they miss the forest from the trees? Well, this is able to see the big picture and the individual details and not get hung up on the individual details in a way that elevates them at the expense of another. Let me give you an example. 
Well, you stubbed my toe. And so I refuse to forgive you because I think you did it on purpose, even though you've apologized, because my toe hurts and my toe is going to hurt for a couple of weeks. And we forget that the big picture, if we're refusing to forgive somebody, we're saying you deserve an eternity in hell for hurting me. Never mind the fact that I deserve an eternity of hell and have been spared that. So it's able to step back and look at the big picture that is we're damned, but we have a savior and it's all about salvation. It's compliant. Now, again, this is a difficult word to translate. Sometimes people will say, I, I have a short temper because of insert the nationality of their ancestors. Or I often hear, I'm stubborn because of this. Compliant is not a pig-headedness. It's not a stubbornness. Now, it doesn't mean I'm willing to go along with anything either, right? But it's ready to hear the person out. And lots of times what's meant by that isn't the person who's, who isn't even struggling with the sin. We get this a lot and it's throughout human history. I don't want you to see my sin that I'm embracing as a sin. But it's actually willing to hear them out so that it can hear, ah, here's how I can apply the law so that you'll see that it's your sin. And when you see it as a sin, here's how I can now apply the good news of salvation in Christ so that the Holy Spirit either creates the new man or so that he is nourishing that new man. And so it's approachable. And that's really sad when Christians earn the reputation in the world where, well, I struggle with this sin, but I ain't going to talk to that Christian because they're going to look down their nose. I don't struggle with that. How dare you? It's approachable. It's compliant. And therefore, it's full of mercy. God has filled you with his mercy. He had to create the new person engrafted to Christ in that mystical union so that you would have a mercy that this world doesn't understand. Just I, you've got the gates of heaven in your hands and mercifully will apply it. Somebody needs help and you have nothing to gain by helping them. And yet you'll help them because God has freed you. So you're now free to love God. And that love for God also has freed you to love your fellow man and show them mercy. Hence, it's full of good fruits. That's love, compassion, peace, forgiveness and, and mercy and all those others. Next, it says without discrimination. Now, when we hear discrimination today, we tend to think of discriminating against people based on their culture and race. And then that's definitely part of it. But it's a bias of any kind. So, for example, in the early days of the Christian church, if you were a Jewish Christian, it would gross you out because of the laws of uh, the ceremonial laws of dietary cleanliness that you'd followed to have somebody offer you a pork chop. And if you were a Gentile, it would really gross, it would really bother you to have a Jewish person offering you uh, meat that, from a chicken that maybe they got at the butcher and they didn't know it, but it was used. They read its entrails to know the future to some false god or something. So there wasn't a bias. The Gentiles looked out for their Jewish Christian converts and the Jewish Christian converts looked out for their Gentile convert Christians. Now, that means without a bias like that. Now, in a way, we've got to understand this because there is the truth of God's word, and that is definitely something that's always held before us. But when people get hung up on a bias that's not biblical, the Bible says you can't do this, and the Bible doesn't actually say that or something. You know what happens when the rug gets pulled out from that bias? They become uncertain. Oh, dear! And so it's without discrimination. God's salvation is for all people of all ages, of all races, of all nationalities, of all different struggles with sin. And it's without hypocrisy. And sadly, let's admit it. This is one of the reasons why Christians earn a bad reputation, because many of them are very pharisaical. 
I am self-righteous. I'm better than you. Without hypocrisy means that we look at our brothers and sisters and unbelievers especially and say, I might struggle with different sins. I might struggle with the same sins, but we're in this together. And without the love of God, we are going to hell and are slaves to the devil. This is a wisdom and a love that only comes from God. God has to give this to us. Like I said, he sends somebody with his word. The Holy Spirit works through that word to create the new man. And then he works through that word to nourish that new man. You are connected to Christ. And the righteousness of Christ is flowing through your new man. Your sinful nature is there to struggle against it. But your new man has that righteousness. You've been credited with Christ's righteousness. So verse 18 says, Now fruit which produces righteousness keeps on being sown in peace by those who keep on making peace. God has put his righteousness in you. You grow the fruits of that, of God's true righteousness to the world around you. And the world knows true peace, God's wisdom. There's where salvation's found. I've been kept in the darkness by the devil's lies and now I can have peace. So let me wrap this whole sermon up with one of my favorite childhood stories. That was the emperor's new clothes. A couple of shysters come along. That would be wise according to the Greek word. And they tell him, we have this uh, cloth that when we make it, if you're a fool, you won't see it. But if you're wise, it's really beautiful. And the emperor commissions and pays them great money to make his clothes. Now, when they sit around and do nothing and act busy when somebody comes in the room, but ultimately when they show the emperor the clothes, which don't really exist, he says, I can't see them. I must be a fool. But he puts them on, you know, and his cabinet looks at it and everybody is, I can't see them. I must be a fool. And they truly were foolish to be suckered by these people, right? Ultimately, the emperor has a parade down his capital city and all the people seeing, not seeing these beautiful clothes, they're, being, they're holding up the lie. They're not saying anything. And it took the naivety of a child. And that wasn't naivety in the child. It was childlike, straightforward innocence. The emperor has no clothes. And everybody starts laughing. The world's wisdom will lead us to be those people who keep quiet, not to be seen as fools. The world's wisdom will lead us to to continue the devil's lie that we are slaves to him and that running to God is where we think is slavery because of the devil's lie. But when God comes with his word and the Holy Spirit creates that new person in our hearts so that we know that Jesus is our savior, we see, oh, there are no clothes. What is biblical wisdom? It's not the wisdom of this world. It comes from God. It's sown in you and produced through you. And it frees you so that you now are a light to the world, showing others salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.